welcome to the Rise Rooted Podcast. If you're a mom who feels like you've lost yourself along the way, you have landed in the right spot. I'm your host, Katherine Middlebrooks, founder of BRB Yoga and postpartum health expert who has helped thousands of moms rebuild their bodies after baby. Each week, join me and my guests as we explore ways to create health in mind and body so that you can live a life you love. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. Today, I am bringing you a conversation with Julie Tenner, the pleasure nutritionist. Julie is an experienced facilitator of deep women's work, a naturopath, a doula, and a mother of four who teaches women how to love wider, feel safe in surrender, and open to their untapped power. With over 15 years experience working in women's physical and emotional health, Julie believes pleasure is the missing ingredient to awakening women from the inside out, bringing a distinctive combination of knowledge infused with heart and soul. Julie reaches women all over the world via her podcast, Nourishing the Mother, Women's Circles, Ceremony, and Transformational Online Programs. Julie will revolutionize the way you relate to yourself and the ones you love, bringing deeper connection and richer intimacy. And that last line is... So very true. And I think that you will see that after you listen to this episode. Julie is one, just a pleasure to listen to. She really expertly weaves metaphor and story into her teaching. And I find myself just wanting to hear her speak more. She could go on forever and I would say, come on, keep going. (laughs) Um, But this conversation, I had trouble actually titling it because we cover so very much. We talk about accessing pleasure on your own, accessing pleasure within intimate relationships, uh, embodying feminine energy and the power that comes from that feminine energy and so much more. And and now having listened back to the episode, I find that this statement, revolutionizing the way you relate to yourself and the ones you love, is so true about Julie's work. Even just from this hour-long conversation, I have found myself rethinking many things about my own life, the way that I relate to the big feelings that I have always had in my life, Uh, thinking about the way that I show up in my intimate relationship and what that evokes in my partner and when we are repelling each other and when we are attracting each other, which you'll see she talks a lot about polarity and magnetism uh, between the masculine and the feminine. So there's a lot here. Just enjoy it. (laughs) Just a quick note, there are a few places where our Skype connection got a little funky, but nothing that will ruin the experience for you. We have since changed the recording software that we are using, so hopefully that does not happen in future interviews. I'd also love to ask a favor. Those of you who are listening to the podcast and enjoying it, if you have someone that you would love to hear interviewed on the show, please let me know. Send me an email at katherine at brbyoga.com letting me know who you would like to hear from so that I can reach out to them and ask them for an interview. Okay, that's all I've got for you. Enjoy the interview with Julie Tenner. Julie, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. I'm so excited to talk to you. Oh, thank you so much for having me. What a gift. I feel really grateful. So thank you. How gorgeous. We've been having conversations always. It's extraordinary. I agree. You know, I was thinking about what we should start with and really with your body of work, I felt like there are so many ways that we could go with this. But where I wanted to start was with a conversation about 
pleasure and really exploring the value of pleasure for women and mothers because I really see when I kind of look at, you know, even my own experience and the experience of many of the women that I work with, so many of us seem what I would call we have this pleasure deficit that we really don't allow ourselves to enjoy experiences that are fundamentally pleasurable. Things like eating delicious food, right? We taint that with guilt. Even moving our bodies, often we will make movement uh, or exercise more of a punishment for our body or a way to control, you know, the way our body looks. And then when you think about sex and intimate relationships, we're so up in our heads that it's super hard for us to drop into our bodies and really experience and feel pleasure. So I just see this lack of pleasure for so many women, and I'm totally guilty of it myself too. So I want to start there. Can you talk to us about the benefits of pleasure? Like, what does it open up to us as women? And why <laughs> why should we be making this more of a priority for ourselves? Yeah. So I want to start with, I called myself the pleasure nutritionist because I'm trained as a naturopath. So clinically, I've always worked with women's health. And what I realized was whatever paradigm women chose it was pleasure that was missing. Mm -hmm. And I felt like if we just sprinkle like glitter, a bit of pleasure on the thing that you're wanting to do or change or experience, it's like magic for the feminine being. And all of a sudden it becomes enjoyable and delightful and something that I wish to take into my body or, or my world. But in pleasure's absence, we still have this, I think, very old patriarchal model of it takes punishment and internal punishment forces such as guilt and shame in order to motivate us enough. It's like we need to be punished in order to do the thing that we're supposed to do. And often the feeling of pleasure is like, well, I can't feel good and be good for me. And so we've been so conditioned away from what the truth of a feminine being and body is, which is it is in itself in and of pleasure it's born by pleasure for pleasure you know like it's it's the symbol of the goddess it's the movement of energy through her body that enlivens itself and I think honestly heals the world you know one cell one person one feeling at a time so what I realized was whatever we were working on if we just sprinkled in whatever was a pleasureful act that was involved with that all of a sudden it radically transformed how deeply that woman took it into her world and integrated into part of her being and how profoundly the changes happened at the other end. So for me, pleasure is the missing ingredient in whatever it is that women choose to do. We seem to think that if, you know, as I said, if it has pleasure, that somehow it's wrong. And I think we're so mixed up in our culture about what pleasure is and how much we're allowed. It's like this scarcity mindset, like a form of abundance. Well, I can't have that much. Who am I to, you know, and... I just, if only we knew what pleasure could do. And I, I think this is the other thing is that pleasure is often not convenient. It's often easier to say no to because we're more conditioned to than to say yes and take it into our bodies. It's easier for us to not receive. It's easier for us to be givers mm -hmm. than it is to be takers. And so 
even when we're offered an opportunity where we could say yes to something that would feel good, often these innate pathways in our body are like, no, it can't be good. You're not allowed to take that path. And so we'll deviate away from pleasure as opposed to if pleasure were my priority right now in this moment and in this moment and in this moment, the same question, if pleasure were my priority right now, what would I choose? And I often think that's the question that should guide whatever practice we're doing, same as, you know, the beautiful work that you do, as you know, I did your work. So if we can ask ourselves what would invite in pleasure that would invite me into being in this space rather than trying to force, coerce or manipulate myself into doing something that that doesn't feel intrinsically um, innate or delightful to me, what would that look like? Would it look like a beautiful yoga mat? Would it look like lighting a candle and putting a heater on so my space is warm? Would it look like a hot steaming cup of tea to do work? Would it look like playing music that moves my hips when I make breakfast for my kids? Like if we could just add in pleasure rather than take away and create more scarcity, I think women's health and body connection and relationships would be completely different. I love that notion of it really being an almost an integrator, like you the way you described it as if, oh, thinking about even something like as simple as exercise or eating, if, if we make sure that what we choose does bring us some pleasure, we really can embody, we can live that exercise, we can take in that nourishment in a different way than if we see it as separate from us. It's like the pleasure really allows it to become a part of us. Oh, that's so juicy. <laughs> yeah. And I think so. this is the thing is that you're going, oh, I feel that in my body. And I'm like, yeah, because you're a feminine being and there's something so ancient that's programmed into your cells that's like, oh, swoon, oh, surrender. There's my energy. Oh, now, I, you know, like we forget that, you know, we don't have this finite amount of resource you know, we don't like these car engines that we fill up with this petrol called energy and then we run it out at some point and we're exhausted and depleted and fall over. We're beings literally that are manifested to move life energy through our body and that feels like pleasure. That's what life energy feels like. And when we receive and move that through ourselves, we actually get to surrender and let go. Our physical body relaxes. The space relaxes where we speak our voice, relaxes. And all of a sudden we find this invitation to energy that isn't in scarcity or isn't going to run out, that when we put consciously practices and moments in our day to come back to that flow of energy and receive it inwardly, that we have more of an overflowing space to give out. It's a continuation of the cycle because you are life energy. That's what you are as an embodiment of the divine feminine. That's that's your birthright to cycle energy, to receive energy in, to amplify it and mix it with the life force and experience through your body and send it out as something that's that has bigger supernova waves to influence and and heal whoever and the world, you know, around you. So I, I really genuinely think we can heal all of the hurt places of people in the world just by stepping into our pleasure. Yeah, even thinking about, you know, like the most concrete form of pleasure as an orgasm, like feminine bodies, we can have as many as we want to have. There's no like, yep, that's your limit. Now you need to rest for a while, right? We can just experience pleasure after pleasure after pleasure if we allow ourselves to 
as opposed to the masculine where they really can't. Like physically, that is not possible for them. And so that notion of the feminine body as uniquely suited for receiving and accessing pleasure, I think that's such an important thing to to be mindful of that we are really meant for that. Even you know something as simple as as breastfeeding and the oxytocin like dump that we get in our brain that feels so delicious. Do you find the thing that is keeping people from accessing that is that they are in their heads and not in their bodies because the pleasure is found in the body. Yes, um, it is, but I probably just expand that just a, a, a tiny bit more because I think it's it sometimes it seems easy to say, but just get in your body. And yet what I recognize with working as I'm sure you would too with working with women is it's somewhat more complicated than saying, just leave your head. Yeah. Because that sometimes feels like, yeah, a monumental task where you're like, but I can't. Right. So I guess I'm more interested in the reasons why you can't and you know that's largely what I see is and I'm going to tell you it through the lens of the mermaid so I don't know about you in America we're in Australia and the mermaid has popped up in pop culture so it's all over kids Duna covers and you know artwork and mermaid you know pots and you know all sorts of stuff is the mermaid potent in pop culture in your I don't think so not in that way no okay so here it's like like the unicorn phase. Now it's the mermaid phase. Yeah, I think we're still in unicorn. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, I'm telling you, mermaid's coming. <laughs> so um, I find that fascinating because there's something ancient and archetypal about what the mermaid represents. And I just want to talk about it from this lens because I think it works so beautifully for women to have a metaphor to come back to. So the mermaid, classically, if you go back through its story weaving history, is born out of fear of the deep. So she has this line that she cuts between the human embodiment that is above her and the deep sea embodiment that is below her. So she's half fish that swims in the undulating sea with this enormous wide tail that's full of power and can dive her deep deep into what underwater would be represented as the feminine unconscious or embodiment. And above the surface, she appears to sailors and she's so magnificently beautiful. The siren's call, the one who um, can't be resisted, you know, the top half of her human form that is seen in the daylight above the surface. But what we find is that where, um, you know, she still stays beautiful in most of our modern day culture, Anciently in story, she was a warning for men. She was a warning for she will beckon you by all of these masculine traits. So beautiful, rational, peaceful, calm, seen in the daylight. It's all of these top um, aspects of what we might call the headspace, what the masculine you know, loves and adores and the masculine within us too. But in these ancient fairy tales, once she's seduced the masculine and he's so enraptured with her, she pulls him under. She changes instantaneously into something that's ferocious and man-eating. 
So, and she can dive with her prey down into the deep where he can't survive. And I love this metaphor because it reminds me of the fear that the masculine slash that line in our body that women often draw that keeps us at the surface of what our culture says is beautiful and acceptable and desired and wanted. But the truth of her power comes from the lower half of where she exists in this world. But the masculine is so terrified that it seems like a death if we enter that lower surface, being the emotional states, the currents, the deep life energy that can move through a woman's body, her ability to go deep and swim deep, right? So I love this idea that um, it's told in so many ancient stories, yet if you take it from a feminine perspective, she knows that she gets her energy from diving down deep, that her home is the deep, that the sensation of currents and colours and tail movements are all the sensuality that reconnects her to her power source. She only comes above the surface occasionally. So I just think it's worth considering how our culture um encourages us to create a split between masculine and feminine, to create this divide between our power source and what it says is acceptable. So we love something that's predictable. Can you just go back to the way that you were? Because the way that you were makes sense to me and it's rational and calm and doesn't disturb me and I know where I stand. So just like freeze stay like that and then I've got you. So, which is, you know, so I get it from the masculine that isn't so used to the flow of currents and energies and the feminine loves and is enlivened by the flow of energy through her body, the flow of love, the flow of pleasure, the flow of any type of energy through her body. The masculine is most at home in nothingness. So the more empty he is, the less something there is, like those disturbances, those emotional, he's like, you can't be enjoying that. That's like pain and suffering for me. So just if you just stop, you're going to feel better. But for the feminine being, she's like, oh, I'm swimming below the surface. I'm back at home in my body. I'm letting go of all of the pain and constriction of being above the surface. This feels magnificent. Right. I can just be like that really is the true stepping out of your head and into your body, it's like you aren't thinking of the way that you are, how you're responding or how you're acting. You're literally just being in the flow. Yeah. But the flow I just want, I just want everyone to get is not because we're often told you're too much. Please stop being that. You need to calm down, come back to your head, come back to your human form that I know. And it's not, we ingrain those messages as being something that's about us. But the truth is, that it isn't. It's about the fact that that person is experiencing, usually the masculine is experiencing the overwhelm of too much flow of energy in their body. So that tension is so rise, they go, but you need to stop. Not me. I don't need to stretch into it. You need to be less so that I feel better. And so we ingrain these messages that diving below our surface is really unsafe, that it results in a reduction of love, a withdrawal of love, a rejection of our hearts. And so we ourselves then become part of that narrative where we won't allow ourselves to do that because it equals 
less love, less energy, rejection and withdrawal, and they are deeply painful for the feminine body, mind and heart. So we will reject ourselves even ejected from necessarily an external source and we'll pattern repeat that then in our relationships. So I just think it's more complicated than um, saying let's just get in our bodies because I think we need to have an awareness of why it's so hard for us so that we can come into a place of reverence and then go, oh, this. Yeah, I get to choose to be the mermaid right now. I get to, and I get it. You like nothingness and I get it. It's beautiful because your nothingness is delicious for me as well. But that doesn't mean that I can't be the life force of everythingness. So I just, I just really love that overlay of just reminding ourselves, I'm not too much. My stories are old. I can change them at any point because they're not about me. They're about the culture's desire to disconnect women from ultimately their power source. And we continue to, you know, run the patriarchal story that's been run for centuries. Oh, and it's so strong, isn't it? I, you know, thank you for sharing that analogy. It's really landing for me. And it's it's making me think of the times when I feel most connected to that energy within me. It's usually if I'm out by myself in nature. Those are the the times when I really allow that energy to move through me. And multiple times I have had this moment, which I am seeing now really is coming from, you know, the culture that I've been living in, where I have this moment of feeling all of this energy and feeling my body moving almost independently and Mm. thinking, I'm losing my mind, which literally I am, right? At that moment, I literally Mm. am losing the conditioning of my mind that tells me this is the way you're supposed to be. This is the way you're supposed to function. And yet I feel the fear rise up of this is not the way you're supposed to behave. (laughs) And literally something is wrong with you. And then the fear of like, you're going to be put away somewhere, you know, so there's all these layers. So old. (laughs) Yes. So old. So probably not mine in this life even, but when you start feeling the true power of that life force, which really does come from pleasure, how every part of your being, because you have so often been in relationship with people who don't want women experiencing that power, it is to yeah. stamp it down and tap it out. And that's so sad for us isn't it oh yeah it really is but also I think we're in the era where we get to choose to reclaim those ancient and potentially lost parts of our own lineage and heal ourselves we heal every generation that comes after us and I think that's an enormous invitation Let's go then a little bit deeper here on relating with another. So talking more about intimate Mm -hmm. relationships, because these really are these beautiful laboratories that we get to have where we do get (laughs) to play uh, if you're in a heterosexual relationship, particularly between the balance of masculine and feminine. And it seems like there are lots of ways that this goes wrong. And that's not like a judgment, mm-hmm. right? It's not like, oh, the woman's doing something wrong or the man is doing something wrong. It's this this is a dynamic interpersonal relationship. So I'm responding to him. He's responding to me. But so often it seems like somewhere within that relationship, we get stuck in patterns that can really turn down 
the volume on intimacy and compassion and all the things that you want to have with your significant other. So what do you see that stands in our way? Where are we getting blocked and where are we blocking our partner? Mm. (sighs) Where to start with that? I think the way that we habitually show up in relationship is completely different to the truth of who we are. So as you said that before, I was like, yeah, totally. Like we habituate into patterns of being that is not truthful to actually what would feel most, you know, pleasureful or um, heartful in any and all moments. We just have these programmed go-tos and it can be hard to get off that track because as you know, our brain is meaning making and track laying and we just love to lay track in our brain and run that same track over and over and over until it's a gorge. And you have another person laying track as well. And so you like both get entrenched in your own interacting separate tracks. So that makes it even more complicated. Yeah, totally. So Anytime that we want to break a track or we want our train to form our brain to form, you know, a neuroplastic new way of being or belonging in relationship or in any part, we have to pattern interrupt where we're at and we have to change what we're doing. So the definition of insanity is to keep doing the same thing and expecting a result. So we have to change what we're doing to have a different reality. And I think that you get the opportunity to stretch that and find more pieces of you. So You can have a relationship where you're deeply in love, but there is zero chemistry. You're like best friends or brothers and sisters or, you know, I don't think that masculine and feminine is um, gender based. I think it's a polarity spectrum that exists within us. So we all have this sliding ruler bar of deep masculine mountain-esque empty nothingness, you know, seeking energy, purpose, power, strength, forward movement, direction, challenge that we rise to, ability to provide and, you know, and at the other end we have deeply feminine energy, full body movement, ecstasy, pleasure, life moving through her body, love moving through her body, and then we have everything in between. So we're on this slider bar and we will continuously, depending on what our day requires, but our universe is constructed upon laws of opposites. So the same universal laws of polarity exist within ourselves as they exist within our relationship. So opposites attract. Like a battery, like a magnet, we have a positive pole and we have a negative pole within us and we attract the equal and opposite positive or negative pole in our partner. So if I'm in my masculine and I'm taking up that slider ruler bar of my masculine, I'm really in my head, I'm direction focused, I'm telling him our our movement, our motion, what we're doing, or I'm in, you know, CEO boss mode and I don't consciously have a practice to shift myself out of that. There will be a part of me, if I'm a core feminine being, as, as I'm born, like that sense of energy, surrender, letting go, being taken is actually what feels most enlivening for me. But I'm living over here in my boss energy so much that I can't get out of it. Mm-hmm. I will feel exhausted and depleted. But if I stay there in terms of the law of opposites and I'm way down the masculine end, what will happen is I will literally evoke in my partner and push his pole to slide all the way down to the opposite and equal feminine end. So he'll be bitchy and emotional and full and can't take anything, you know, and I'm going like, oh, God, man up. 
but I'm taking up all of that polarity. There's nothing for him to step into by the law that our universe is constructed upon. There can't be two of the same or you will repel each other like two magnets. Think of two pelts. Either you have opposites that come together and there's chemistry or you have two of the same and they push each other away. So this is what will happen where we will repel the other, will be repulsed by the other's way of being and sexuality will diminish. The point of having chemistry and passion and desire is that it requires an electricity spark or arc like a battery. You need a positive and a negative in order for there to be this spark and arc of electricity that that makes the chemistry that is the sort of hotness and the tension and the deliciousness between two poles. So if you have two of the same, there is no arc of electricity. But this is the thing with love is that love wants to contract the distance and make more of the same. I want you to be more like me. I want you to like what I like. I want you to see the world that uh, the way that I see it. I want you to share my values in the way that I do it. I want you to be like me. So love contracts distance, but in doing that contraction, desire disappears because there's no opposite. There's no spark. There's no positive and negative. To have desire, you need opposite. So love contracts, desire needs opposite space. So I think just understanding it just simply from a universal law or polarity perspective allows you to go, ah, so it's not like I am and he is and, you know, well, this, we're stuck here forever. Like we often say, I feel unmet. I feel unseen. He's not meeting me. I just want to let go. I want a man who's strong enough to take me. You know, we have all of these sentences, but every time we want to throw out a you statement, it's hiding the I part of that. I feel unmet. Yeah, because I haven't opened my heart. He can't meet what he can't see. He can't touch what he can't feel. So if I have all of these thicknesses and blocks and um, stories and hurt love stories that keep me kind of like just covering my heart just enough so that I won't really risk it just in case maybe I get hurt again, then the depth to which you can open is the depth to which he will meet you. So if I'm going, he's pretty shit at meeting me right now, mm-hmm. because your heart's pretty covered right now. Yeah. We evoke the opposite and equal in the other always. That's what our universe is constructed upon those laws. I can't see you. Yeah, I can't see you. See me. Yeah. I can't actually see the center of you because there's always this cloaking or hiding of the truth of who you are. Every time I shove down my emotions, every time I smooth the surface of the pond, every time I like, and I'm inside going like this, but I keep it smooth and soothed because what if, and maybe, and he might, and he probably will. And we do make all of these assumptions based on our past hurts and we completely rob ourselves of the opportunity to be met and seen. And we rob the other of the opportunity to grow and meet us and see us. And then we go, but you don't see me. Yeah, but honey, you haven't learned how to actually show him the truth of who you are in the moment. You know, so I just think there's so much self-responsibility that we have as women to actually take back and reclaim the polarity of the feminine that is perhaps harder work than what our very masculine dominated culture likes because we would like to be able to say, well, he's not man enough for me and therefore I don't have to change. And he doesn't meet me, therefore I don't have to open my heart. You know, so 
I just think in reclaiming the truth of the power of our feminine because we have to enter old hurt stories and create new ways of being. Based on those universal laws, right? If you are feeling that he's not man enough and you, whatever, leave him, find someone else, you're going to just create that same pattern again, (laughs) right? If you continue to be standing in your masculine. Yeah. Yeah. You don't escape yourself. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You're just going to create the same relationship over and over again, which we've all done to some extent throughout our lives. Yeah. It's so challenging though to be in that feminine when as mothers, we are tasked with keeping order of the schedule, getting the kids to the places on time, making the plans for the meals. There's so much of the doing and the planning and I can see how that really then conflicts with you being able to soften and open and be receptive. So you mentioned, Mm. you know, you have a practice that really allows you to step more into your feminine. Can you share a little bit about Mm. what you do and and what women Mm. can do when they find that they're just so in this masculine planning and strategizing all day long? Yeah, I'd love to. Because it is when you're trying to plaster cast something that's not a truth of you, if you're not continuously dipping back into your feminine where you experience the reflow of energy and life through your body, then you will find that you're exhausted because you're living in this masculine pole that isn't innate to what you're designed to be, which is to flow more freely with love and openness and surrender. So just to maybe back that up a little bit, just to say, yeah, I I totally hear you. I am a mum of four kids. They range from 14 down to two. I'm a full-time stay-at-home mum and I run two businesses. So interesting for most women is that mothering is just as much a masculine, um, a masculine genius as being a CEO is. Yeah, that's so interesting, isn't it? That it it does end up being yeah. so masculine. Yeah. Anyway, continue. Yeah. We often think, oh, well, you're a stay-at-home mom, so it's, you know, you don't have to do what I do or, well, you're at work all day, you're not around the kids. And it's like enough of the separation. They're two of the same when we talk about what's required of you. You're still orchestrating and organizing teams of people, groups of t- people, forward motion. You're still action planning. You're still planning for the future. You're still maneuvering everything that's involved in the construction of any type of project, like they're all, you're in your head, you're thinking your logic, you're holding space, you're thinking about what's next. You're Like it's all masculine energy. I know, even just listing it out is like, Ugh, I'm so tired of it. Uh, yeah, except that I don't see the intimacy that we have with our children as any different in terms of the experience of love flow and our ability to meet our feminine than what I do with um, my husband or with our partners in intimacy. The two intimacies, I think, are often the same. So if you're having trouble being with your child's feelings and emotions and they're crying or whatever is too much, then that probably tells you about the level of you that you can tolerate mm-hmm. that's too much or um, that you will allow as a flow from you. So I always think it's beautiful to watch our children go, wow, why can't I be with this right now? What part? Why can't I be with the me? Because we can't be with ourselves. We can't be with our kids. Right. So I always think it's beautiful to just watch these spaces of intimacy play out, the different pieces of our heart and take them not so much as like, oh, well, I'm, you know, blah, 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 but more like with curiosity, wow, 
I wonder what I could do to stretch into that a little bit. And whatever I open up in my relationship will come back tenfold in my ability to be with my children in a really beautiful or conscious or loving way. So I just want you to know that if you need to link one or the other to to get more motivation, then I think do that because I see them as, as delicious and beautiful. And it might even feel safer, too, to do that with your children than to do it with your intimate partner, right? You can you can try on different energies with them in a way that you may not feel as safe doing with your partner if you're really entrenched in some patterns with them. 100%. Yeah, 100%. But know that whatever you do there is also translatable and will be of benefit to your relationship, too. So just don't see those two intimacies as separate because they're all love. They're all forms of the flow of intimacy within you. So at the end of the day, to get back in your feminine, the feminine is feeling, the masculine is consciousness. So anytime you're trying to be peaceful and still and like, just give me nothing, blank space, no noise, no sound, no light, no color, just give me nothing. I'm going to be still. This is also why it is tricky, I think, with a lot of well-established yoga practices is that we are always obtaining and looking to obtain more stillness and peaceful nothingness, but that is a masculine cultivation. Mm -hmm. So just know that if you don't counterbalance those with practices in your feminine, you are constantly repatterning and reaffirming your masculine polarity within you. So the feminine polarity is all about feeling, not witnessing feeling, that's masculine, feeling, actually moving energy, receiving it and saying yes to whatever comes up or through your body. And just know that love is not like, this universe doesn't go, well, that's bad and that's good. It's all just energy, emotion, energy in motion. There's no anger is not a bad emotion and love is not a good emotion in the way that we've come to know it. It's all energy that all is life moves bodies, but we've kind of gone, well, I'll shut the doors on those emotions because they're not safe for me or I'm not allowed or it's not okay or it's going to be destructive and it's like trying to lock the tiger in the basement, isn't it, that ultimately that monster ends up bursting out of there in ways that are perhaps more toxic than if we had learned to love the fact that anger allows us boundaries and gives us the energy that we're so exhausted and say we have no access to and allows us to meet our own needs and come back. Like it's just I think removing a lot of the – attachments that we have to the spectrum of emotion and simply coming back to my birthright is to experience and be with the flow of energy in motion, to be in motion through my body. So at the end of the day, to get in your feminine, all you have to do is feel. Now, all of us can feel. So the spectrum of where you take that feeling is, of course, the depth and the art of um, the feminine as much as the place to reach nothingness and stillness is the art of the masculine. So just feel, use this body that has all of these five access, maybe even six access points to feeling. Pick one and focus on it so acutely that you fully feel this strawberry as you move it around your tongue or this cream as you rub it on your skin. Like just feel. The second you feel and you focus on that feels good, 
what would feel better? The more you amplify that, yes, that's good. Oh, that's better. The more you move into good, better, best in terms of opening that feeling, the more you're amplifying that energy through your body, the more rejuvenation of that life force through you is available, the less exhausted you feel. The feminine energy and movement through your cells is literally rejuvenating and enlivening. It is for you and it is for every masculine being that comes in contact with you. Being around a deeply feminine being who's just pulsing with energy is like dipping into the elixir of life. That's why it's the most precious resource on this planet. That's why men have given up countries and fortunes and families for the attainment or protection or seeking of this deeply rejuvenative experience of the feminine like she's this beautiful sea breeze that moves through you in this most ecstatic way and enlivens all of your cells you get to do that anytime you say yes to your body yes to what's coming through and then add on what would feel better right now like that like at the end of the day that's it and breathe women forget to breathe we do <laughs> and, so much shallow breathing, but if you can just breathe all of the soft parts of your body soft and feel, bang, you're there. It's actually not that hard. We just have all of the reasons why we can't or don't or shouldn't. It's making me think of this moment I recently had with my husband. You know, we all have our patterns, right? Our patterns of relating that are not functional. I mean, they're functional in their own way, but they don't um, necessarily serve us well. And we typically, when we argue, if I feel anger, it then reverts. I like push down the feeling and revert it into tears. And just recently, we had a conversation and I felt that anger coming. And it was one of the first times where I stood my ground in that feeling and said, like, this feeling is so absolutely warranted in this moment, and I am not going to push it down. I'm not going to turn it into sadness because the power of this moment is that I'm pissed about this thing that happened. And it was a fascinating moment for us because it really did shift the dynamic in a way where, you know, typically we would end up having to talk about things forever and ever, but we didn't need to because I didn't <sighs> step out of that feeling or push that feeling away. I let that that anger move through me, come out. It was received. And then it was almost like, okay, and now we can move on. And it it was yeah. liberating to really allow that energy. And I think that point of we are so accustomed to only allowing ourselves to feel the good feelings. But in so many ways, the anger, the fear, those are things that are telling us how we need to reorient ourselves to things and we should be paying more attention to them. Oh, so much yes. Like just my whole body's like, yes, as I'm hearing you say that. I think that we, yeah, the more, and I loved what you said with your husband is that the funny thing is we think we have to like talk about it. And the minute you say to a person, man, we need to have a conversation. We need to talk about this. He's like, oh God, I'm going to die. The worst. (laughs) Yeah. The more we realize that the power and the medicine is in the body, in our feeling and our ability to move energy through it, the less words are even needed because he's responding to the open or closedness of your body, to the energy 
that's moving through it. He's like a beacon of like, beep, 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 where's the energy? Oh, that's the energy. Oh, it's clear. It's a clear transmission. I get it. So I can have a clear response to that. But if it's murky because it's only like a little blip or it's this part murky, watered, muddied version of the truth of what it really is, he's like, I don't know, kind of maybe a bit like this, you know, and then you're like, oh, that's so wrong. But <laughs> I loved what you said where you were like clear transmission, clear result, less words, more body. Like at the end of the day, that's how it's so healing in relationship. You get to feel more truthful. You get to reclaim your power and he gets to know how to love you. And in doing that, he gets to build his way of being and belonging with you and his whole energy rises. He gets to feel his spine of like, I can provide for my woman as opposed to, I never get it right. Like it's just, it's so beautiful. And it was a powerful boundary setting as well in that, like, for me to to finally say, like, no, this, I feel angry and I'm allowed to feel this anger. Not that he's ever told me I can't, but that I have put that on myself. Like, oh, I shouldn't feel angry. I'm going to make it sad instead. As you said, that makes it, I can see how that would make it so murky. And, like, how do you respond to that if someone's half angry, half sad? Mm-hmm. But then having the boundary of, no, I'm going to feel this anger, it allowed me to be, I guess the word is clear. That's what I heard in your story too. I was like, ah, oh, that feels like medicine, you know, just this truth. And it's not, it's not even anger that's like, you're so wrong and this is so awful and anger that's thrown out. It's anger that's just a truth that's just revealed. You know, like, you know, I always think it's like a, a mama wolf, isn't it? That if you're in her territory and she had cubs and the second you put a foot in that territory, like, do you think you wouldn't know? Like, you'd know the second you do that. And I just feel like that that's what you're doing. It's not like your teeth gnashing, ripping, you know, shreds off of his flesh. It's like, I'm telling you, I'm warning you with my energy, like, here's the truth. And then he like goes, Ooh, yeah, I get it. So I'll move this way. Like, I just think that's the power, not, not the throwing out and away of our power when we dissipate it in, you know, throwing it out of us as opposed to the abundance of moving yes, it through yes, us. Yes, exactly. That's where I was going. It was that in that instead of staying stuck in our paths of this is the way we fight, it was like, oh, now this is a new way that we can relate to each other because mm-hmm. I was seen in a way that I hadn't been seen before. He was able to respond in a way that it was yeah. like it was that pattern interrupt that you mentioned. And if we can just embrace more of those negative feelings, we fear it's going to end up so much worse. And that was in no way my experience. It was so much easier. But we're just so conditioned into the opposite. So I just have the deepest amount of self-compassion for all of us who were the little girls who were told that we had to be nice and kind and that, you know, we were punished for our anger or our truth. Like I just, I also have deep compassion for why we end up that way. Can we just briefly talk about evoking the masculine in our men? Because it is so easy to fall into the nagging, demanding, scheduling, telling the man everything what to do. And that is emasculating and it it sucks pleasure out of a relationship. And so what are little simple things that women can do to sit in their feminine in relationship to a man to just bring some sparks back. 
Um, so I'll take that conversation probably two ways. The first way is if you are really in a more comfortable pattern where you are more comfortable with your masculine ways of being and belonging than you are with your feminine, perhaps you've gone, it's powerful to be in my masculine and it's weak to be in my feminine and you reject and don't allow yourself to enter the feminine, you live in the masculine, then he will be in the equal and opposite feminine polarity and you will have attracted each other for exactly those reasons. So where you have the rejection of the feminine within you and potentially, you know, because of wounded mother story or rejection of the masculine within him or within his wounded father stories. So you've attracted each other perfectly because you're the whole universe together, you're equal and opposite, and also because you are each other's medicine. You actually both have the opposite and equal wounding and therefore medicine for the other. And I think that's always the gift, like it is in parenting, to hand over the ways of, of you know, flying in the world. It's kind of relationship works the, the same way in a really beautiful way. So you have a man who's better at being in his feminine than you are. So the only way to evoke him and get him to rebuild trust in his masculine is to build an equal and opposite trust in your feminine. You're on sliding poles. The moment you slide into the feminine and take up that space, it's no longer available to him and he will instantaneously and in you know the equal opposite slide into his masculine so I think we have to stop trying to do and change the other and work seriously on everything that's blocking us from being able to access the truth and the depth and the pleasurefulness of that pole because you have to out feminine him ultimately if he's really like soft and floppy and no direction and can't make a decision and you know baby what do you want to do tonight and you're like I just want you to make a decision and he's like but I want to do what you want to do because you're so good at directing so good that he's forgotten how good he can be at directing so he's learned to trust your masculine more than his own and so have you you trust your masculine you trust your decisions you trust your forward movement more than you trust his that is i think such an issue that we we do not trust we have we cannot allow our partner to do the things we we tend to take it all on like we are the only ones that can do this correctly and then of course you're forcing yourself into that masculine role and you're mucking everything up yeah exactly no exactly so I always think of it like um back to you know I love it I love an ocean metaphor so I always think of it like you are born to be the ocean you are born to be the feminine embodiment of ferocity and power and pleasure and sensuality and movement and fluidity and he is the sailor or the surfer that rides on top of that. So any beautiful and powerful horse equally respects the ocean as he does enjoy her currents. So the moment a sailor or a surfer takes his eyes off of respecting the ocean for her power and her ferocity and her ability to kill him is the moment that he does go under. So in, you've forgotten you're the ocean and you've jumped into the boat with him. And not only have you jumped into the boat, you've taken hold of the rudder and you're steering. So he's now probably the passenger sitting at the front of the boat going, where are we off to, honey? And you're going this way. And then he looks ahead and he goes, 
there's a storm coming. I can see the wave. And instead of him taking charge, knowing what to do, how to do it, how to move with the chaos of the ocean, how to move with the disaster, how to work with her waves or her currents, he goes, honey, what should we do? And you go, I know. And you take hold of that rudder and off you go. He can't, if he doesn't, he doesn't even know, one, that there's a rudder or two, that he has the equal ability to steer and navigate those waters. So I always think of it as it has to be this beautiful process of, okay, I'm going to take one hand off of the rudder and let him put one on. And then I'll step it up next time and he'll, I'll take two hands <laughs> off of the rudder. I haven't left the boat, but I'll take two hands off of the rudder and he can put two hands on. And then maybe eventually I'll remember that I am the ocean and I'll dive back in and let him navigate me and we'll both feel delicious and ride those waves like any, you know, surfer that feels ecstatic in the process of that, right? Like it's it's born to be ecstatic. So I think of this in terms of um, my daughter is training her pet parrot at the moment and she wants this parrot to hang upside down on her finger and she doesn't go hang upside down on my finger and then go, oh, parrot, you don't even know how to do it and then walk off on the parrot and never bother training it again. She goes, hmm. I want my parrot to hang upside down on my finger and my parrot only knows how to sit on a perch at the moment. And she's goal stepped every tiny movement that leads to doing the trick of hanging upside down on her finger. So first she treats it just to tap her finger. Gets that? Good. Now the bird's like, oh, I know how to do that. And I get rewarded and that feels so good. It's great. Now I want you to cling on to my finger. And it learns to cling on to her finger because she's treating it every time. She doesn't scold it when it gets it wrong. She treats it and amplifies its experience of joy when it gets it right. So it's intrinsically motivated. I want to do that more. That feels so good. And so now it's clinging onto her finger. And she has all of these steps. You are training every moment of the day. So every time you close up and you don't reveal your truth and he does whatever shitty behavior you think you don't like, you are complicit in that behavior. You've trained that behavior. For you to train him differently, it requires the deepest amount of compassion and patience as you slowly learn to take a hand off the rudder and let him muddle it up. He's going to be like, whoa, 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 hang on a minute. You've just taken a hand off the rudder. What do I need to do? Do I need to wipe it, the deck here and oil it and make sure that we're not going to say, and you're like, oh, that's not the right move. Well, you don't scold the parrot and you don't go, oh, that's so bad. You're so wrong. You go, I'm just going to reduce my level of reinforcement there and watch and let you and be with my own triggers and feelings that want to close and take over and take back that power and control. Because if I really want to let it go and I want to let you take over, I have to let it go. If I've over-empowered this area and you're under-empowered in this area, there has to be small steps where I remove the power so that you can step up into it. And he will. The universe abhors a, a hole. So anytime we remove ourselves, someone else will step up or we'll convince ourselves it's the opposite. But we can't tolerate the training. And I think of it also like reading our kids' readers. I mean, I assume you guys do that over there too. But we have this process through schools when our kids are, are learning to read, but we have room every night and we have to be with children while they learn to read. Now I've done that three times now and it's excruciating sometimes when they, you know, stumble on a word or they don't know a letter and you're dealing with the frustrations of, I don't want to do this or, you know, I don't know what that letter is. And if I turned around to my child and closed the reader wallet on her and went, oh, you're so 
silly. You're never going to learn this. I can't be here with you. You're so irritating. You have no idea how to do it. I'm not doing this with you anymore. My child would never learn to read. And yet we apply that same thing to relationship. And I'm saying to you, you have to take a hand off the rudder. You have to leave the book open and you have to let him try. He's going to bumble because it's new. But don't collapse in the new. Just simply use good, better, best. Mm. Oh, that's so much better. Train him with the positive reinforcement. Feed the parrot. Celebrate the reader. Like it's the same thing with our husbands and partners that we have to learn how to come back to the energy of our body and allow them to take a place that we don't want to be in and that we consciously remove ourselves from. And we have to learn the art of out-feminining him. So if he's flaky Jake on the couch, how can I be more feminine than him and slip in next to him without saying a word and practice pulsing through my body more feminine energy than him? Because the more that I out-feminine him, the more I will automatically and unconsciously push him into his masculine until he is like, we swear to God, the TV is the most important thing in the world. You pulse with energy in your body and he's like a radar because he is trained to absorb and look for life force. He's like, what's going on over there? I want some of that. So it's just reclaiming the art for me as much as it is as being incredibly self-compassionate for how we ourselves are complicit in the training of the thing we say we don't want. Two things that come up for me with that is, one, it's so much about trust. And then the other thing that is just popping up for me was really about the the feeling of your feelings versus the doing. Because in that relationship, when you are, you know, quote unquote, training your significant other, you can allow those feelings of like, oh, frustration and anger and oh, not doing it quite right to flow through you. You don't have to necessarily put them out to them too, right? Like you can, you can feel it and react physically mm-hmm. without having to have the conversation with them about it. And that would be a, just a beautiful process, you know, to watch your own evolution in as your husband shifts and changes, how your feelings shift and change too. And I think that's probably where it gets a little bit mm. muddied between the masculine and the feminine because we feel all these feelings and then it's like we have to do something with them, put them out somewhere, talk to someone about it. But what if we just feel them. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, and I think that's the comfort, the so the comfort with women learning the abundance that they have in their body, learning to feel the abundance of energy in your body without needing to dispel it and leak it out to something or someone outside of you, but actually feeling the abundance building in your body. That's, you know, the pathway to, you know, ecstatic you know, pleasure as much as it is financial wealth, like how much abundance can you hold in your body? It's also how much energy can I hold before I have this desire to like, oh, that's enough, that's too much and, you know, throw it out by being codependent in Mm -hmm. looking for that validation or that soothing or that need being met from outside of us or throwing it out on someone else. Like how much abundance can you hold and move through your own body? Because that's your power. That's the seed of your abundance. Is there anything that you feel is left to say, anything that we missed that you want to leave our listeners with? I think all I want to say is I totally get it. I totally get it. Like wherever you find yourself, I found Catherine because I have a prolapse. I have a vaginal prolapse that I had after my fourth pregnancy. So I have four children. My body has 
grown, birthed and breastfed four children four times. I have a vaginal prolapse and none of that makes me less goddess, less less ecstatic, sexual, sexy or desirous. So I just want to offer that I get where you're at, but the point is always to remove all of the barriers because what he is responding to is the energy from the center of you as it emanates and ripples through your body in ecstasy. It's got far less to do with the structure itself of wrinkles or age or, um, you know, prolapse or not, that it's everything to do with the energy that you're able to access within you and therefore that he's able to access through you and that that is an absolutely ecstatic and delicious place to be and motherhood is a pathway to deeper power and knowing of embodiment rather than something that, that takes that from you. That's beautiful, Julie. Thank you. Will you let everyone know where they can find you? Because they're going to want to run and follow you now. Thank you so much. So Julie Tenner, The Pleasure Nutritionist on Instagram and Facebook. Now, the Facebook handle, though, doesn't let you use pleasure. Thank you, patriarchal Facebook. So my handle on Facebook is Julie Tenner Women's Space and thepleasurenutritionist.com and then also for conscious parenting at Nourishing the Mother on Facebook and Instagram and nourishingmother.com.au. So the two places you can find me, one's Conscious Relationship and Sexuality Feminine Embodiment, which is The Pleasure Nutritionist, and the other is Conscious Parenting and the play out of that in relationship. Yes, and we'll include all of that in the show notes and I do encourage you to listen to the Nourishing the Mother podcast. It's so beautiful and so lovely. And follow Julie on Instagram. I feel like every post that I see of yours, I'm just like, oh, it just lands so, so beautifully. So I'm so glad because like I love Instagram. Like I love it. I don't know about you, but I just think it is such a home for creativity and beautiful messages. And you get to curate your feed with the things that light you up. If there's a feed where you're like, oh, I feel crunchy about that, then just unfollow it. Let social media, let it be your muse board. Let it be what inspires you and feeds you with energy and reminds you of the woman you're becoming or the woman you want. Yeah, I've been working on Instagram. I I tend to have a very hard time with social media. Just in general, I it sometimes makes me cry uh, because it just feels like pressure. But Instagram is w- w- the place that I am now really getting to enjoy. I won't say I love it yet. But I can I'm relating to it much better than I was before. So I have faith that it's going to get better. (laughs) But yours is beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. I do really love it. I really love the sharing of messages and the artful way that, you know, it's all sensuality for me. It's all the feminine, you know, taking in the color and the sights and the sounds and the feelings. It's all it's all a feminine pleasure. And I hope I'm grateful for that because I hope that's what you feel when you meet my feed. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Julie. I really appreciate your time and for you coming to be on the show. Thank you so much. I so deeply appreciate the work that you do. It was absolutely transformational and a really beautiful turning point for me in my prolapse journey and working with my core. And I just have have forever been grateful for what I learned through you. So I'm just as equally humbled and grateful for having me on. So I really appreciate it, all of your work. Thank you, Julie. That's so nice. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of Rise Rooted. You can find all the links mentioned in today's show at our website, brbyoga.com, as in be right back. And if you're looking for support to heal your post-baby body, 
please head to our website. There you'll find our courses for core, pelvic floor, and hip health, as well as free masterclasses and blog posts designed to teach you how to feel your best in your post-baby body. And yes, that even applies to you if you had your baby 30 years ago. If you enjoyed today's show, please consider subscribing and leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or posting a screenshot of today's episode to Instagram. Doing so makes my day and helps other moms find the show. Thanks so much for being here. Till next time.